This is episode 155 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 155 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Corey Frock on the show. And Corey is an investor who started off in London, Ontario, and things didn't go that well for him. So a lot of the stories we have on the show, things just go well for people because they've been listening to fellow investors. Well, Corey got in before he knew about all these networks before 2010, and uh, he built up a portfolio of properties that weren't ideal. Then he scaled it down, and then he dove back in in 2016 in the St. Catharines market, which is also pretty rare for this show, uh, doing duplex conversions. Most people want to avoid that market because it's quite difficult to work in, but Corey has found a way. He comes on the show, he shares his stories, he shares numbers, and he even talks about a very exciting project that I thought was just so cool. It's a development that is going to happen in the backyard of one of the properties he purchased. He bought a fourplex that's commercial. He's converting it into residential. And then he's working on a plan to do 16 stacked townhouses in the backyard. So this is the ideal type of development that I've talked about many times on this show where your project works whether or not you get approved for the development. And that's the that's the best way to hedge your risk as far as I can see it. Of course, I'm not the expert, but that is the the way that I look at it. And when I'm looking for properties, I always like to find a little bit of extra land because you never know what might happen down the road, what might be available, what might be allowed. Um, intensification is a thing. It's very common in cities. So even if your zoning isn't matching up right now, it doesn't mean that the city isn't going to make a change in the future that might allow you to do that project and to add those units and could be very profitable. So that was a really great chat for this episode, and I'm confident you're going to enjoy it too. Just before we jump into the episode, if you could kindly take a moment, rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the like, subscribe, and notification bell just to help more people find the show. And if you're new to the show or new to real estate investing in general, I highly recommend going right back to episode one. As I've mentioned many times in this show, episodes one through 20 are very foundational. We go over the basics a lot. And then we, of course, keep going into the numbers all the way through. So the guests have been amazing. And I've heard so much positive feedback of people who have done this and gone right back to the the beginning. Uh, It really does change the way you think about real estate when you hear all these amazing guests talk about their stories. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode 155 with Corey Frock. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Corey Frock with me here today. I don't even know what we're going to talk about, but we're going to find out. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this. Corey, yeah, why don't you just uh, give me the crash course on what you're all about in the investing world? Yeah, no problem at all. So I uh, I actually started out investing in in real estate uh, quite a number of years ago. I uh, started out in 2006 and uh, had bought my uh, first investment property then. I started out in the London, Ontario market and uh, really did it um, without much education on the the subject. I I had read a few books, American books, on uh, how to invest in real estate and uh, was just coming off a, a divorce. And I realized really quickly that even with the corporate job I had, which I was doing pretty well at, that uh, when you add up all the uh, finances at the end of it, I was pretty much at a break-even point. So I needed to do something to uh, get ahead of the game a little bit. So started doing some research into like stock market and all that kind of stuff and decided on real estate was the way to go uh, and jumped into the market pretty heavily. So between 2006 and 2009, I bought nine different properties. I think I had 22 doors and uh, it went well for a couple of years and uh, was growing my portfolio. The uh, It was cash flowing quite nicely. And then the uh, the market shifted pretty harshly. And uh, by you know 2009, it was going okay. By 2012, it was in complete disarray. And I was, uh, I'll say, uh, very close to actually like bankruptcy. I, all, all the properties were just bleeding money. And, uh, what happened? Yeah. Help me, help me understand what happened because I mean, I didn't own property back before the, the correction in, in 2008, but I also didn't really think it had that big of an impact. Like, so, I mean, you can give me that perspective because I, I haven't yeah, really talked, talked much about I, that. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think if you had the right tools and education, you could have made it through. And uh, I didn't. I, I, you know, I stepped into the market. Uh, I really had a lack of a plan. 
I didn't have the education. I was putting, you know, 5% down on these properties. On paper, they would cash flow very nicely. They were in probably the worst areas of London. You can imagine like EOA uh, areas of London, which is okay if you can manage it properly, but I wasn't right. equipped to manage it properly. So you were I, into stuff that was that was kind of beaten up and run down to begin with. Yeah, you know, I was I was really doing the the burr strategy before I knew what the burr strategy mm-hmm. was. I, I yeah. was buying like uh, distressed homes. I was putting you know thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars into them. I was refinancing. I'm getting my money back out. So I was doing like all okay. You know, these are these are the 2006 to 2009 eras. And then you know what was happening though is you know if you you buy the house next to the crack house and fix it up, you're still not getting good tenants. Mm. And again, I'll I'll lean back to the support systems and the education that I did not have. So, you know, is there people, is there ways to manage through that? Yes, there is. You can, you can see people doing it now. You see how it's managed. I didn't have that back then. So I was dealing with, you know, at at one point in time, probably close to a 50% vacancy rate. Um, wow. Yeah, it was on on twenty two. You didn't, know property. To, you didn't yeah. really know how to position these to get the renters you needed to keep the cash flow going. Is that is that a good summary so yeah, far? Yeah, and it, yeah. it is a good summary. And and now I don't really blame them particularly. I blame myself. I had very poor property management as well. You know, I, I had somebody that was just putting people in. You know, getting getting the yeah. units listed, putting people in. There was turnover pretty much every quarter. Um, I I know I I wrote some stats down that in 2009 with my property portfolio after all expenses so after I serviced it, serviced all the expenses I made like eighty five thousand dollars by 2010 that number went down to about sixty thousand dollars and 2011 I took home forty thousand dollars that's before debt so that's before the the mortgages that I had to pay so it was in a complete free fall. I was, uh, I I was doing things like, like I would basically, you know, Friday after work, I would pack up my car, you know, put a sleeping bag, uh, 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 air mattress, all the tools I owned lawnmower and put them in the back of my car and drive down to London for the weekend. I would stay in a vacant unit in an air mat on an air mattress. You know, I would mow all the lawns. I would clean up an empty unit. I would do all the repairs I could paint if I could just anything I could do to keep afloat and, you know, save that hundred, two hundred, five hundred thousand dollars $500,000 I could for that weekend. Cause I literally didn't have the money. My lines of credit were all maxed and it was just going downhill fast. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was pretty ugly. And, and I, I got a little bit jaded on, on uh, the investment of, of real estate, but Again, I, I look back at it like like Andrew. If if I could have listened to your podcast or you know joined the right club or Rockstar Realty or, or had that like mm-hmm. group where I could like learn how to manage and reach out to people that were doing it, I think it would have helped a lot. Oh, yeah. I didn't have that back then. Um, what I ended up doing was selling the the majority of my portfolio. Uh, I went from uh, the the nine properties down to two properties, which I still have today. So, and I ended up letting go of my property management company. So uh, I ended up managing those properties myself and still do today. The two in London I do today. I don't yeah. manage the rest of my portfolio just because I've had now tenants in London for you know eight, seven, eight, nine years uh, ongoing. Yeah. Um, and that was the way I could keep afloat. I'd sell a property, pay off some debt and hold on to it. And then really kind of re-strategize and, and, and solidify more, my portfolio uh, before I moved on. But it was uh, the, the next uh, property I bought was 2016. After, after 2011, um, I started selling off my portfolio and then I started kind of getting back into the market in 2016. So it took a while. It took Still a long in time. London or, or in other areas? No, I moved away from London. Like I said, I do own the two in London still mm. and I, I'm keeping those. They're, they're great properties, cash flow and all that kind of stuff. But I moved into, I live in Vaughan. And uh, so at the time, back in uh, 1617, I bought uh, pre-built condominiums. So where they extended the subway line in Toronto up to Vaughan. Okay. So I bought some pre-built condos in that area uh, and they've done extremely well. 
you know, I was buying them at the time for around $500 a square foot. And uh, they were cash flowing, you know, like you projected cash flow, which it turned out they did yeah. cash flow. Okay. Um, so that was a, that was a solid investment. I did that with joint venture partners. Uh, I ended up buying three uh, pre-built town or pre-built condos and they've gone very well. They're now fully tenanted. They pay for themselves. They're, they're very good. From there, I moved on to, I, I really wanted to get back into the investing game at this point. Like my, my, portfolio in London, it solidified, it was doing well, Mm -hmm. I was making some money. So I I really did a hard scrub of Ontario on where I was going to invest in and I ended up in St. Catharines. So for a lot of different reasons, um, I ended up back in ended up in St. Catharines. Like 2016 era? Is that that roughly when? uh, 2018 actually is by the time I bought my first one. Spring of 2018 is when I got into it. And from there, I've been basically purposely burying conversion projects in St. Catharines. So, really? Not a lot of people talk about that in St. Catharines because of the bylaw and how hard it is, right? It is tough. It is tough. And they do take longer. Um, I, have a, I have a current example right now that I'm dealing with where I, I bought two properties, one in St. Catharines, and then a property six weeks later I bought in Welland, Ontario. Um, and I submitted the, uh, permit applications for both at the same, like a week, like as soon as I took possession of it, we submitted the applications kind of thing. So I just got my Welland application approval back and I'm still waiting for my St. Catharines one, which was submitted six weeks prior. So it is, it is a frustrating process dealing with St. Catharines. Uh, that's an opportunity too, though, right? Because everybody else knows that too. Yeah, that's exactly it. That that a lot of investors and a lot of uh, contractors will avoid the St. Catharines market just because of that, because it's so difficult. It's not only the time on taking to get approvals, but there's a few uh, regulations, bylaws that uh, hold you back. So my last property that I did, I actually applied for a minor zoning variance because St. Catharines has that bylaw, um, 645 square feet max use of the basement. So when it's I did like the my, opposite of Hamilton, Hamilton, you have like a minimum of like 700. <laughs> it doesn't make yeah. any sense at all. Well, I do. I have talked to a couple of people from the planning department and, and got their take on why they do this. Cause I was absolutely lost as to, you know, why you would implement this or why this would be kept around. And they, they, their, their answer was they want these properties as like sort of temporary dwellings, like somebody like, you know, out of university or in university before they start a family or, or that type of thing. They want these, um, they want single people living in these basement dwellings. They don't want families living in these basement dwellings and they don't want it to be a long-term solution. They want them kind of be a, a stopgap for the, for the renters. So that's their thought process on it. Um, but when we applied for the zoning variance, it got approved and, you know, basically we went from 645 to 800 square feet in a basement and we just attributed it to, you know, uh, the value of, of living in that basement. So the bedroom's slightly bigger, you have a nice closet. Now you don't have to like cramp everything up. And then what I was doing in my previous ones, uh, previous burrs is I would have a common storage area in the basement which is primarily just a waste of space. Um, but I would have to put that in the basement so that I wouldn't go over that uh, 645 square feet. So, okay. I gotcha. I mean, yeah. that's always kind of cool because down the road, maybe they allow for a third unit or something. And now you got that space. You can potentially use it and make a little bachelor. Yeah. No. And, and the other thing is they are designed too, where I could put a door, I could replace the door. Cause basically you walk down the stairs mm-hmm. There's a, you know, you'll call it a door to the right, which goes into a common storage area and then a door into the suite. You can remove the door into the suite, put that door into the common storage area and it's an extra bedroom, right? So if, as long as you have a window, which I do in all those storage rooms, if they ever do change that, or I, you know, apply for a minor zoning variance, um, I might be able to switch it into uh, an extra bedroom downstairs, or like you said, uh, a bachelor studio suite. Yeah. Yeah. I have that in one of my properties in London, like that. It it looks like in the future, I could turn it into a unit. So right now it'll just sit there kind of as unfinished space. It'd be a small unit, but yeah, it's nice to to know it's there and it has like a separate access to outside uh, from the basement and everything. So that's Um, perfect. 
What I did want to just not graze over is is the whole opportunity in the challenge thing. And that's where like I've certainly seen that as being a huge thing, like where everybody else doesn't want to deal with something. Now, all of a sudden, you have so many less people looking for opportunities in that area. And there, you could find your best deal ever, but you got to know, you got to have those conversations with the city officials and, and, and kind of, once you learn, see, that's the thing. If you just invest the time to learn how to deal with that municipality when no one else wants to, people still live there. So you just, just got less competition. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and I think you, as long as you budget for it as well, yeah. it's going to take a little bit longer time. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're, you know, my last, the last couple of I did now, I was dealing with COVID shutdowns. So mm-hmm. it's not a realistic uh, timeline, but they did take me almost 10 months. And I would say two of those 10 months or, or even potentially three of those 10 months were directly COVID related. Like we literally got shut down during the lockdown. There. Okay. They wouldn't um, let you continue construction? Correct. Because the permits weren't approved by the time they went into the yeah. lockdown. So we had to, uh, we had to uh, vacate the property. Um, and then getting the permits approval, getting a building inspector out, all that kind of thing was was very much delayed due to the COVID. You know, people were, there was a backlog. Um, but with that being said, you know, I think I can turn around a, a duplex conversion burr in Welland in probably four months. And it's no, you, wow. you're not going to be able to do that in St. Catherine's. So it's going to take you six, possibly even seven months in St. Catherine's with everything going properly. Just... Due to the time, like like I already said, it's six weeks waiting for the permit approval um, before we can get started. And then, you know, all the inspections, which cause delays, um, that type of thing. So if you can budget that and you know um, what the city's looking for and understand uh, their standpoint. Yeah, yeah, I think it is an opportunity. There's not too many people doing legal burrs or legal conversions in St. Catharines. You do see quite a bit of illegal ones, um, which is, you know, unfortunate. Um, people are just skipping that measure to get the properties done, right? So, yeah, I mean, depending on which city you look at, you'll find more and more or less or less. Like, depends on how easy or hard they make it. Like in Welland, there's not a whole lot of reason not to do it legally, but in St. Catharines, it's it's unfortunate that the government's sort of giving people a reason to do it illegally. Uh, yeah, that's that's my harder. train of thought too. It is yeah. it is unfortunate, and it's also chasing away investment dollars. Like mm-hmm. they need infrastructure, they need uh, to infill. Yeah. Uh, some of their development and and they're pushing people to other municipalities um, just because of the the time it takes. But like I said, I have, I I now have, I think it's seven or eight properties, uh, duplex conversion properties in St. Catharines and they're beautiful places. Like, you know, I'm in the North side of St. Catharines. They're great tenants. It's a nice, nice area to have investment. Oh, nice. The rents are nice. So. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me about like a recent one? Maybe run through some numbers. Like what? Yeah, you for, for sure, for sure. So I mean, it's it's <laughs> the last couple of years, as you know, as, as good as anybody yeah. is is not really a realistic point of view. So I don't have these numbers as like an expectation. I do most of my joint or most of my conversions are with joint venture partners. Okay. So I've kind of presented, you know, in the, in the past, a proposal of you're going to need X amount money down X amount of money for the conversion uh, renovation. And then we're going to refinance, you know, six to 10 months later, and you're going to get X amount of money back. And so going into the projects, I basically say, you know, my goal is to get you the renovation money back, your carrying costs back, plus X, plus a small amount. Over the last few years, I've been able to do perfect burrs, if you will. Right. I, I don't expect that to come. So yeah, we could take a look at one. If we want, we can go. I did a property on Harcove in, in Northern St. Catharines. Okay. Uh, I bought that property for $420,000. How long ago uh, was this? It was, it would have been in the fall of 2019. Okay. So before all the madness, all it right. was before all the madness. Yeah. It, it was funny at that point in time, I would, I would have my realtor send me listings. He'd send me a list of, let's say 10 or 15 bungalows all within the same price point. I would mm-hmm. go down and look at them and basically pick the one I wanted. You know, you know, I'd be yeah. haggling over a couple thousand dollars. Don't get that anymore. Yeah. Things have changed. Um, okay. So what, what did you get into for a reno to convert that one? Like how much money? 
That one cost me about one hundred fifty thousand dollars. Okay. So I had to uh, redo the the top floor. I redid the kitchen, the floors, painted, okay. redid the bathroom, and then built a two bedroom suite in the basement. Okay, that's not bad at all. And um, so one hundred fifty did that cover your carrying costs as well? I put one hundred sixty with rentals and carrying costs. Okay, so we'll ten for carrying. Um, okay, so you're in for about five eighty on that one. Um, did you go back for a new mortgage at the end of that for a burr? I guess you did, right? Yeah, I did. I waited about a year. Um, okay. so I was with a joint venture partner. We had it, we had it up and running in six months, but we waited the full year and the, uh, refire, the appraisal came back at seven fifty. So we were Perfect able burr. to, yeah, that's, that, that's exactly that it. was before the craziness. So what was the deal with that buy? You just found one that was uh, priced really low. It was priced really well. And it also the, by the end of it, it the craziness did happen a little bit. So okay. it, the, the appraisal did get, I, I wasn't mm. expecting that type of appraisal. I was expecting. Oh, okay. So, like so you got an appraisal once the lockdown started. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you got $20,000 back based on 80%. Uh, so 600 grand mortgage. Does that sound about right? That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And what's that one rented for? I rent the top floor for 1900 and the basement for 1500 Okay. So 3400 on the house. And what would taxes be there for property tax? Taxes are about three, $300 a month. Uh, insurance? Insurance is 130 a month. So that works out to be 1560 a year. Uh, maintenance, these are pretty well renovated. So what do you typically budget for maintenance? I budget between three and five. Okay. I'll just put five. Do you do a separate life cycle like uh, account or cap CapEx, I guess some people refer to it as? I keep a slush fund. So when we talked yeah. about that, when I did the rentals and we had that mm-hmm. 20,000 left over, yeah. that stays in that That stays account. in the account. That's yeah. smart. Yeah, that's smart. Um, okay. So, so we'll leave 5% here for maintenance. Uh, utilities, are you paying for water there? I am paying for water and, and for gas. gas. Yeah. Okay. So what do you get into on an annual? It's about 220, uh, 220 per month. month. Okay. Yeah. So 220. Uh, so about 2640 for the year. Uh, are you paying a management company? I am now. Yes. Okay. And what's their fee? It's about 6%. So 6%, and does that cover releasing or do you pay leasing on top of that? I would pay leasing on top of that. Okay. So should we budget like 8% to cover leasing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that's fair. All right. Um, landscaping, do you do that or do the tenants? Tenants manage that. Yeah. Okay. So you don't have to do that. Um, and they take care of snow shoveling and all that? Yes, absolutely. All right. So yeah, I just put up $500 for miscellaneous there. You know, it's funny, like cap rate wise... Like it's not a, it's not a high cap rate. <laughs> it's no. pretty low. Right. But I mean, that's just because your appraisal was so good. Um, yeah. You know, the, the plan going in was six fifty approximately for the appraisal. It yeah. came in at seven fifty. We decided to take the full amount yeah. so that my joint venture partner could pull his money back out and mm-hmm. buy another property, which is what he did. We had the $20,000 extra slush fund that we kept in the account so that we're, we're managing any uh, hiccups that may come, even though it's, it's freshly renovated, everything's new. Um, We just want to make sure normally I like a little bit more cash flow than this. Yeah. This one looks, well, what's your mortgage rate on that one? Mortgage is 1.65. Okay. So that's the saving grace there. Because if you were paying two and change, you'd be cash negative uh, according to my numbers, of course. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. I'm, I'm cutting it very tight. But you're still not negative, right? You're still cash positive and those rents are going to keep going up most likely. Um, So I've often said, yeah, as long as it's covering itself, right? And in these numbers, in our estimations, I I might budget a bit more on the maintenance, but it's, uh, you know, these these seem like relatively conservative numbers. Yeah, for sure. And and again, like I, we we thought about it. We we had a meeting, you know, the the appraisal came in at 750. It was like, do we want to pull all the money out? 
and buy another property? Do we want to leave yeah. you know fifty thousand in, a hundred thousand in? Um, we decided to pull it all. Up. If, if you're if you're an active investor and you're going to keep going, then why not pull it out? Like yeah, I feel like exactly. I feel like almost everybody decides that, even if it does put you a little negative. I think a lot of people will still do it as long as you got a plan to make it positive on on the next property or something like exactly. that. Exactly, and and the the tenants now are due for a rent increase in January. We're going to be taking yeah. them up. Not not a lot, obviously. It's one point two percent, but it yeah. is going up. So. What's your take on this? Because I know it was for for my unit that I, I made in the rear yard uh, on my one property in London. It's not rent controlled. Is yours? Like, would your secondary unit be rent controlled? The secondary unit would not be rent controlled. So, so I can you take can, you can do take the you basement want. unit up. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What's your policy on that? Like, will you just match the the provincial allowed, or will you just do like a fifty dollar increase? Um, it it really depends on the situation. I have great tenants in the basement mm-hmm. right now. I you know for this one, I took it up one point two percent. I just matched the provincial uh, mm-hmm. amount. Um, but you know, as time goes, like so, next year if it's one point two again, I'll probably take them up. You know, yeah. fifty dollars or so, uh, just to kind of keep it close to market because that's one of the challenges I have with London. Um, great tenants under market rents. Right, yeah. I've, I've had them there for ten years. And now, they're fantastic tenants, but they're, <laughs> you don't want to get rid of them. I know, but yeah, it's it's tough. I I, I had a conversation, a tough conversation with them this year, and we ended up t- taking them up a little bit more yeah. than than the one point two, but it's still nowhere near market value. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay giving them increases myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know what you're saying though. If you got good ones, like I have a house that has you know, a family living in it. And I never hear from them. Like they're just, it's perfect. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. And these guys, they, they do everything right. Like I, yeah. I drive by the property and, and, you know, the landscaping is beautiful, much more beautiful yeah. than if I would have pay somebody to take care of it. So they do a great yeah. job. I'm very happy with them. That, that's the difference when you get those, as Sarah Larby like says, she doesn't want them, but like the the ones that want to be lifers. And yeah. I don't, I don't mean to get them, but I've, I've, I've had them and uh, some of them really take good care of the property because they want to stay. Absolutely. Well, they see I, it as home. That's exactly. It. And that's one of the, one of the challenges I, I have with my tenants in London. So I had tenants move into those properties when my portfolio was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they solidified the property, they held it, they managed it, you know, there's no property management expenses, they keep the yeah. yard good, they keep the house good, but they're paying quite a bit under market. And and what do you do with that? You know, I, I take them up 1.2, but um, it, it's tough, you know, after after nine years, they're like, you're paying 60% of what market value is. Yeah. So it's, it's a tough situation. Well, you can't even, even if you're doing the government allowed increases, you could barely keep up with inflation. You're, you're, well, not, I mean, you're definitely certainly not, not now, but in the past, even like, even if you were, you weren't keeping up with the market increases in rent. Exactly. It depends on when, I guess, like, cause there was that little time frame in London and you'll relate between say 2011 and 2016 where property values just didn't change pretty much they like, did not they basically yeah. just stayed exactly the same i just thought i was looking at all the people in, in toronto i'm like wow i was the dummy who invested in london and then finally everything <laughs> explodes i'm like okay there you go <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly trust me i was doing the same <laughs> yeah i'm like damn i wish i had invested in a market that got appreciation yeah um time time seems to fix that at least in our market anyway yeah yeah exactly Exactly. Okay. So, so you're, you're doing these in St. Catharines. Um, you were going to say something, go ahead. Yeah. And then in, in lately over the last like a uh, couple of years, I've been uh, doing a little bit more. So three in the last two years, three, three properties each mm-hmm. over the last couple of years and then scaling that. So the latest property, or I, I shouldn't say the latest, cause I actually bought a, a conversion in Welland just recently, but prior to that, I bought a, uh, uh, basically a mixed use, commercial property downtown St. Catharines. So that's a little bit uh, different from what I'm used to. And that really stemmed from going into a bungalow in St. Catharines, seeing 50 business cards on the table. You know, they would they would put it on the market on a Thursday or Friday, hold offers on a Monday, and then you're dealing with like 30, 40 offers. Mm-hmm. So I was I was struggling to find properties that fit um, that I could that I could win on a on an offer sheet. So I kind of changed my tune, changed the the way I was looking at it. And and with the whole COVID situation, what I kind of figured out, there was a lot of office space, you know, where you have lawyers, uh, accountants, uh, that type of profession where they don't need an office space anymore. 
And that's what I found. I found one downtown St. Catharines. I actually found several and, and uh, mm-hmm. tried to buy a few, but I found an accountant's office, uh, a great building right in the downtown core, three-story building. He had, you know, 17 full-time employees there that through COVID, he realized he didn't need them at the office anymore and okay. that they can work from home. So he put up the building for sale. It was a uh, mixed use zoning. And what I'm currently in the process of doing is converting that into a fourplex. So taking that mixed use and putting it into a fourplex. You can do that? Like, are you saying keeping it mixed use or all residential? Well, so we're, we're dealing with the city on that. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to do the, so it'll be the second and third floor is going to be a two bedroom plus a loft uh, unit. The main floor, we were going to do a one bedroom and a studio apartment and use them as Airbnbs or short-term rentals. Okay. And then we're going to develop the basement as a two bedroom unit. Okay. So the you other, don't need storefront? Like, are you not a storefront on a main street? No, we can, we can keep the, keep the zoning as is just change the use of zoning within mm-hmm. it from, from the commercial to the residential piece. A lot of places aren't like that. They, they won't let you go away from commercial if you're on a street front, like if you have a storefront. Yeah. And, and it wasn't a storefront. I mean, it, no. it, it was an accountant's office with, you know, so it was an office with, with street access. Yes, absolutely. And we did talk to the city prior to both purchasing and, and, and post the, the key part of this property though, is really it's on a 250 foot deep lot right downtown. So it's 40 feet wide by 250 feet deep. It's a solid so, lot. Yeah. So, so the intention is we're going to, we're going to basically convert the front property and burr it and then work on developing the back. So we would like to put, you know, kind of row townhouses in the back there and then develop that property. Really? You think that that's going to fly? Is it, can you? City's like, totally for it. City's the one, like we, we met with them a couple of times and we've hired a planning consultant. Mm-hmm. Um, to kind of walk us through. So the city has, you know, uh, it, it's not in final approval yet, but they're saying anywhere from nine to 16 units in the back. Like stacked towns or something? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And how, how you said nine, nine to 16? Nine to 16 <laughs> is what the city said. It's not within our plans. Like we're, we're still, we're not quite there yet. Um, like I my said, goodness. we meet with a, we've, we've hired a planning consultant. Um, and I've partnered with my contractor on this deal. So yeah. uh, Property Pathways, who designs and, and develops these types of properties. So we are looking at uh, different aspects. But really, the goal is to, we've got a little bit of money into the, the front with the deposit and everything. It's going to cost about 225 to 250 to redo or burr that property. Then we're looking at refinancing it and getting our money back out and using that money to then develop the back. Okay, so let's just conceptualize what your process would look like. So you're going to finish your burr on the on the existing building and then work on on the actual development of the rear. You've got a 40 foot wide, so I'm assuming you're going to put a driveway down one side and then you're going to have all the units on the other side. Exactly. Yeah. Your your unit depth couldn't be more than what 20 feet yeah it's about 20 feet so conceptual drawings is basically it'll be a three level no basement townhouse Mm -hmm. so you'll have like a covered parking and then you enter into the side and go right up the stairs into the main living area and then the bedrooms will be on the third floor and you've got commercial on either side so they're not going to complain or mixed use on other side. So, cause yeah, you, I would see opposition from neighbors if they, you know, how it looked, shadow people are study. looking at looking yeah. into our backyard. Yeah. Shadow study. Yeah. You're going to cast a shadow on their backyard. Um, yeah. It's interesting before I ever got into trying to develop stuff, I never, uh, it never even occurred to me that you would ever do a study, like to study traffic, sound shadows, like all this stuff. But, uh, well, I got, I got a, a hard education very fast because part yeah. of the building permit process was an environmental, uh, inspection. And even though our property came clear, there was another property across the street that had, uh, yeah. uh, contaminated soil in it. So then they, asked they they needed a phase two environmental which includes boring the holes and and doing that type of testing so that kind of caught me off guard the the you know have you already done this 
You did this on this property already? We've now done it. Yeah. We haven't actually got the phase two hmm. results back yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole, I mean, getting into the development piece was obviously a big leap and it's uh, an education. We're learning as we go. We're trying to get as much information as we can. The saving grace or, or the the safety net, if you will, is the property itself. And, and if the property is a fourplex and we burr it and we get our money out and I've done the finances on that. I think we'll be fine to do almost a perfect burr on that property mm-hmm. and the development doesn't work. We're okay. Like we will, okay. we will, you know, hold the property and then move it. But if that's we a perfect can scenario, it, yeah, it's a perfect scenario. That's exactly what I, I constantly say. Try and find property that has extra land. You never know what you might be able to do with it. That's exactly it. And yeah. I thought this was a great opportunity to learn, right? Because right. you have a property that's going to cash flow. Even, even on a perfect burr, yeah. the property will cash flow significantly more than a duplex conversion. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, for people thinking about getting into development, this is in my mind the way to start it. A low risk attempt where you get to get your feet wet. The proper what the property makes can cover the development attempt. So you don't have to feel like terrible about it if it doesn't work out. That's and- exactly it. And that, I mean, that would be incredible if you got 16 back there. Uh, and then would you just condo it and sell it or would you keep it all as a, as a rental? They actually, one of the, one of the things from the city is they don't want us to sever it and, and condo it and sell it just because of the way the land is. You you have the driveway down the yeah, right hand side. Yeah, you need an easement. Yeah. Easement and all that. So they would prefer us to do rental uh, mm-hmm. suites on it. Um this would be prime area of, of St. Catharines to rent. So yeah. I'd be very confident renting those up. Be pretty life-changing uh, level of successful investment uh, to have that one work out. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. And that's, that's our thought process is that this is a bit of a game changer if we can, if we can get this done. And, and again, it's, it's very little risk. There's a lot of learning. There's been a lot of frustrating like, uh, nights like when, I, when it came back and the, the phase phase one environmental came back with, you know, your property's clean, but the property next door was contaminated. Now you have to go into a phase two environmental. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, Yeah. So, so you're in, so you've done the boreholes. Um, We've done the boreholes. So you're like hired what, an engineer. 20 grand into that, that uh, inspection. Yeah. I think it's, it's yeah. a little bit less, but, but just under that yeah. number. And uh, yeah, so we get our phase two back. We're probably going to get it back this week or next week. And um, if they find stuff, then you go to phase three, which will involve some remediation, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and we're, you know, we'll wait to see. We've had lots of discussions about this. We're going to wait to see what the results come back with. Mm-hmm. And if it does go into remediation, we may not develop it or we may hold it for a few years to to let the, right. you know, the, the funds build up in it before we go further. Yeah, he's just because then you need to get an opinion on what it would cost to remediate. But sometimes it's I, I think that people who don't know blow it out of proportion to what it actually will cost. Like if you get an expert that does it all the time um, in, they might be able to tell you it's not as bad as it looks or or something. That's, you know, one of the one of the uh, biggest learning curves I had was hiring a consultant. Yeah, and and uh, you know when we first went into this, I didn't, I wasn't hiring a consultant. We were going to burr the property, and and we kind of got caught up in the zoning issues, and then the environmental with the city. And you know, at one point, I was pretty frustrated. I was looking at just flipping the property. I was like, let's just put like a nice coat of paint on it. We'll sand the floors down in this building and, and redo the floors, and let's just move it. We might break even. We might make a little bit of money, but let's just get out of this. And then I met with a planning consultant who kind of talked me off the ledge a little bit and, you know, kind of walked me through the process. So definitely a big change for me was hiring that consultant who has been through this before. Yeah. I love working with professionals. A lot of what I've been able to do on these townhouses and stuff has given me an opportunity to work with these professionals at a fairly high level and kind of just get that experience from that end. So um, not that I've done it at this level for myself, but, um, so it, with this property, your zoning worked, you were able to do all this compliant with zoning. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the, one of the questions we had with the city, like, did we want to, you know, in burning the property or converting the property up front, do we want to change the zoning so that we can develop in the back? And they, we haven't had our pre-consultation meeting with them yet, but they've said basically like, no, you have the proper zoning. This zoning you have allows oh, wow. for the, for the development in the back. Well, I'll be, that's a, that's one heck of a good find. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was already a, there. So it's really just design the building, go in for permit, pay the fees and then yeah. start. I mean, you of course your, you're going to have to do all your drainage and, and everything. Like they're going to want a site plan approval. So it's not as simple as that um, because in the site plan, they could ask you for anything. 
Like they yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Do, do like 10 different studies, pay it, you know, pay $200,000 in studies just so that you can get an okay. That's the part I don't like, you know, it just depends on the city. So I'm surprised you already did the, um, did the uh, actual environmental without doing the pre-con because they might actually tell you other things that might've swayed your decision. Or did you not feel like that was going to happen based on your conversations with them? We actually needed the environmental to do the uh, rebuild of the front. So to to change it to the fourplex, we needed to do an environmental on that. Gotcha. So you already had to do that. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope they take it easy on you, but I mean, after you do that (laughs) pre-consultation, you're going to probably know um, then this is going from my own experience, like everything they're going to want. And, you know, some, they might surprise you not to say they won't surprise you with something, but, uh, hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully they just tell you the full list and don't change their minds. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And we're, we're looking at getting the, uh, pre-consultation early in the new year. Yeah. Yeah. I got, um, uh, I got to that point. I did my pre-consultation, did all the things that they asked for on this project way back in like in London in 2013, and then they're like, oh, we did our neighborhood character study and um, we uh, we want you to have a front veranda. I'm like, well, I don't have room for it. I, I won't comply with zoning. They're like, yeah, just just take it out of the space of the building. I'm like, but then my entire layout doesn't work. Like I need every inch I got. <laughs> like, well, we don't know what to tell you. So I'm talking to an urban planner and she's she tells me that well, they can't force you to do it. It's all like voluntary. They can't, they can't actually force you to do it. She's like, let me, let me take care of this. And then oh, she, really? so she, yeah. So she starts going to bat for me. And, uh, and then before you know it, that all got, came to a halt because uh, the neighbors got all up in arms and, and uh, they, they got, they petitioned city councilors and got an interim control bylaw passed to stop me from building and stop Are actually you- a few other people in the neighborhood that were going to do the same thing. Um, but anyways, I just bring that up because, you know, it's funny how things can be going one way and then, and then go another real quick. So it's so nice when you've got a property that it works either way. So whatever happens, happens, go find yeah. 10 more of these. You're going to be successful more than, more than not. It's just, yeah. you know, those few that aren't, you just want to be ready for that. Absolutely. And that's, that's is been what I've been looking for over the last like six months. And they're, they're hard to find. Like you find, yeah. you know, I'm looking for, you know, a large property or a multi-unit property on a double-sized lot or a double-deep lot or something like yeah. that. That's that's kind of my goal going forward as I as I scale is to try and find these. But yeah. one of the one of the good things, and I think you mentioned it earlier, is at least this property it's surrounded by commercial buildings. You know, there's there's a there's a, a multiplex apartment building across the street. I have an mm-hmm. you know a, a engineer's office next to me, so it's right. not like I'm not in the middle of a residential area where I'm going to have the the residents you know the nimbyism yeah. the nimbyism <laughs> yeah is that a formal word yeah <laughs> you know i just I, I think it was yesterday i might have read an article on it um about it being a major challenge and uh <laughs> so i think it, it might be now anyway it is i mean i see both sides of it um i don't really think that <laughs> i don't think we were meant to live on top of each other like we do in modern society like i really do think like in the age of producers, people all had their own farms. They didn't live on top of each other like that. So it's just sort of unnatural to begin with. So I can see why people get a little uppity about their, you know, their home. Absolutely. You know, I was in, uh, I wasn't actually in the meeting. So when they do a committee of adjustments meeting for St. Catharines, they post it on, or it's live on YouTube, but they don't see me, but I'm, I am watching it. So when I applied for my zoning variants, so you have the committee, um, and then you have the city planners, and then we had one of our architects join the meeting for our presentation. So I was watching this, and one of the committee members came out and he said, "You know, they said, is there any other questions? It all got approved. Everybody's on board." And he goes, "Yeah, I do have a question." He goes, "You know, I'm I'm very very concerned that these types of units are everywhere now in St. Catharines, and that every house now has a basement dwelling, and I don't want to live in a, a town full of basement dwellings." And it was, it was funny. Of course, I couldn't say anything. He doesn't see me. So I'm just watching like in horror, like, is this going to kill my project? And he ended up getting into it a little bit with the planner, like the city planner saying like, no, you know, not every, not every house in St. Catharines is going to have this, but we do need infill development in order to continue our growth without like an urban sprawl going on. We don't have the room to continue that sprawl. We need to do this in order to uh, continue to grow. So it was was a unique perspective seeing basically two people from the city, not arguing with each other. They were, they were very friendly about it, but you could see they are concerned. They they don't want too many of these dwellings 
in St. Catharines or, or, I mean, that's just one member of the committee, right? But yeah, <laughs> this is a whole rabbit hole we could go down. I mean, I, I, I just think it's, it's a very interesting topic, but I mean, now as I get older, I just like, I just want to go out to the country and live on a farm. <laughs> I don't yeah, know no what of people. <laughs> no kidding. I, I think I would have been okay. Okay. Being a farmer. <laughs> that would have worked. <laughs> yeah. Just, just tinkering. I like to tinker, you know, have a little shop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I used to love, I yeah. used to uh, personally love going down and kind of working on my properties myself yeah. and just keeping myself busy that way. But when you grow your portfolio, I just can't anymore. It's just too right. much. Yeah. Yeah. And I resonate with that. I loved actually working in the properties. I mean, there was the stresses that came with it because it was like, yeah. you're under the gun, you got to get done. But I mean, it also like felt invigorating, like <laughs> made me feel a little bit alive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, minus the sleeping in my car part. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or sleeping in a, in a in the houses. dirty unit yeah. was not, uh, not enjoyable either. No, definitely not. So you still living in Vaughn? Yeah, I'm, I'm up yeah. in Vaughn. Yeah. Uh, most of my investment, my whole, my whole portfolio or focus of portfolio is in the Niagara region also. Yeah. So how did you go about building this team you have in St. Catharines? How did, how did that process look? Yeah, you know, I was a member of Rockstar Real Estate, which mm-hmm. is a educational, you know, support system, and and part of that is they provide a coach, which is really a realtor with right. experience in the investment uh, game. Right. And so I was working with my realtor, and we, you know, were looking. You know, I did a lot of research in Barrie, Kitchener, Waterloo. I was in Oshawa, trying to find the right area to go. Uh, to invest in. And he's actually from St. Catharines. So he lived in St. Catharines, which is very influential. And and he knew it. Like, he's like, look, I don't want to push you to this town, but you should really look at this town. And uh, so with him there, um, I got introduction to several contractors um, and and property management groups and stuff like that. So I kind of, that was the beginning of it. And then just over the last five years, obviously I've developed that team significantly. Right. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of education and I'm a member of Rockstar. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the right club and, and join their group. I'm also uh, part of Corey McKinnon's coaching program. So I'm, I'm doing this and with those, each one of those, you get a lot of contacts. So you, yeah. you build up your team further from each one of those for sure. I didn't know. I didn't know you were doing that with Corey. That's cool. I just saw him yesterday. Oh, did you really? Yeah, it was, uh, it, you know, it, I, I'm very excited about how it's going and, and working with Corey. Mm-hmm. I've, obviously, I've been investing for a long time. So I, I started with Corey about three months ago. I spent a ton of time trying to find, because obviously, I may not be the best, but I'm not mm-hmm. an entry-level investor, yeah. right? So I, I needed to find somebody that's not like, you know, two years into the game, teaching people how to buy their yeah. first house or duplex their first house. It's really trying to find somebody like Corey, who was the the perfect catcher, perfect find for me, that can, you know, teach you more about mindset and how to scale your business yeah. and take it to the next level. I think that that's the key. Like, it, you know, being humble enough to know that none of us are ever done learning and we can always, somebody can always give us a good kick in the ass. Like that's Absolutely. at the end of the day. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think that, uh, that, yeah, he'd definitely be a good, a good guy to do that. So that's awesome. Yeah. And, and, you know, going in, I knew, I knew there'd be aspects of my portfolio that he would identify, right? Like, Hey, your, your rents in London aren't to market. You know, that's an obvious, one. like, how do you get your rents up? What are you going to do to clean up your portfolio? But it's kind of that next level. And, yeah. and how do you scale your business and take it to the next level that I'm really yeah. excited about? Um, and having, like, I'm enjoying right. it, but like, I kind of built out a, a plan with Corey and now we're trying to execute on it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. That's very, very cool. Well, I mean, I'll definitely be interested in hearing as you do more of the stuff, especially if you get into these kind of development projects, that's super interesting. Um, Definitely want to see you succeed with that one and do a few more. Cool. Well, um, there was one other thing I was going to ask you, um, just kind of more of a technical aspect, like your joint venture uh, agreements, when you typically get into those, are you just having a lawyer in the area do that for you? You have one that you've been working with in your team for a while? Yeah, I, I've, uh, I basically had a joint venture contract drawn up years ago. And I, I use the same contract that gets revised every time. I do, I do have a lawyer I work with. Um, but they work I off have, that base template and just keep tweaking it. 
Exactly. So I've even done uh, joint ventures where I bring multiple partners in. So each okay. each partner brings in X amount of dollars and they own X amount percent of the deal. Um, so it's it's all based off that same joint venture contract. I'm pretty standard um, when it comes to it. I know a lot of people do it a lot of different methods. I'm 50-50. They put up the money, they put the mortgage in their name, and then I'm the managing partner. So I take care of absolutely everything after that point. Okay. So yeah, that's and that's the typical structure. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that point up because I think a lot of people think they just need to get their hands on a contract. I think it's easier to actually go with the contract that the lawyer that knows how to do this uses. Like if they have their base template, they know everything in that template. So it makes more sense to use their template. And- yeah. And it is an extensive template. Like it, it, it's it's a lot of pages. It's, it's very yeah. in-depth. And it covers. Now, the one thing I will say, I've been doing joint ventures um, you know, since 2007, 2008, yeah. and I've had some very unique situations. I, I literally had a joint venture partner of mine pass away. Wow. Um, you know, uh, To this day, though, I've never had to really open the joint venture contract and say, like, according to this rule or this clause in the contract, yeah. we have to do this. So each time I've had, you know, I've had joint venture partners lose their job and want to sell. And uh, I've been able, you know, I'm not going to hold somebody to what it says on a piece of paper because they've lost the job or anything like that. So, you know, knock on wood, but I've never had to open up a contract since I've signed one. And and like I said, I've had some unique situations, but it's always been, you know, if you're open and honest with people, you're you're reasonable. Yeah, be reasonable, exactly. right? Yeah, that's the big thing, right? It was the second you get unreasonable, things get ugly. So totally. yeah, that's, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, Corey, if people wanted to follow you, where do, where do they find you? Yeah, on Instagram, it's Corey Frock Investments. Uh, same with on Facebook. And you can always email me at coreyfrock at gmail.com as well. Cool. I will put that in the show notes. And is there anything else you'd like to share? Something you wish I'd asked you about uh, before we wrap up? Not necessarily. You know what, Andrew? I do want to thank you. Um, you know, I, I one of one of the things we talked about on the show was the struggles I had um, when I started. And to be honest, like the thought of being able to listen to the podcast that you had and reach out to you know somebody like yourself and some of the guests that you had and walking through the numbers, I think you bring a very unique aspect to the podcast. Um, there's there's several Canadian podcasts on real estate, and the way you dive into the numbers. Um, just hit the nail for me because I'm a numbers yeah. guy. So I was able to like look at properties, yeah. compare them to what I was doing kind of thing. So I, I really appreciate what you do out there. It's uh, you, you do a lot for a lot of people and it's, it's very much appreciated. Thanks, Corey. I really appreciate uh, the, the kind words and uh, yeah, I'm glad it's been able to, uh, to help. No problem. Okay. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. I'll see you on the next one. 